4: Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm and Super Talk TV. in terms of weather. We are rinse and repeat in the Magnolia State. Absolutely gorgeous. Once again, hope at some point today you, uh, you were able to slip outside just for a minute. I was up late last night, like really late, working on football stuff for the weekend. And was taking the dog out like, before shut it down for the night. It was, it was downright chilly at about 2.15 this morning. Like, 47 degrees? That is... Ooh, we, we are there, boys. We, we have, I think, made it to real fall, and what a weekend we've got coming up. And it's just stacking them one on top of the other, This is Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Pearl River Resort Studios. Pearl River Resort, the home of the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club. Fall golf is the best golf. Two 18-hole championship golf courses, the Oaks and the Azaleas. You can book your tee time online at DancingRabbitGolf.com. Dancing Rabbit, part of Pearl River Resort. Again, DancingRabbitGolf.com. You want to be part of the conversation. Hit us up, C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Want to give your business the edge? Get Gigabit Fiber Internet from C Spire Business, backed by world-class IT experts who live where you do, right here in C Spire country. Boys, there was a milestone in the American League last night. Home run number 62, hit by Aaron Judge. Yankees on the road in Texas, Globe Life Field, and Judge hit number 62. And Borky, you tell me that there are people that are asking the, 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 the question that comes along with really big moments. Yeah, you're getting two things. One is people are trying to convince you that this was better than 2001's record. And the other five besides that, they're ahead of Judge. But also they're doing the remember where you were when this happened thing. I even saw somebody earlier this morning say, now you have a real baseball home run story to tell your kids about. Okay. So that's what they're doing today. Where were you when Judge hit 62 to take solo seventh place?
3: I have to explain to my kids what a home run is first. They would probably not be aware.
4: They don't know what a home run is?
3: I mean they don't watch baseball. They don't, yeah, I know, don't like I know, baseball.
4: I know your girls are not sports people, but like are you serious or are you being a little hyperbolic when you tell me they don't know what a I home might be run being
3: is? a little hyperbolic, but if I said somebody hit a home run, I, I don't if they said what's a home run, I wouldn't be totally surprised by it.
4: You okay with this? You kind of feel like you failed as a father a little bit.
3: No, if I had boys, I would feel like that, but with girls it's it's fine. Okay.
4: I, not that I was trying to get too personal there I just I, you know we share our feelings sometimes I'm just it'd be okay to share yours we're here to share yeah yeah if uh, if 10 years from now James is not able to tell Michael Borky what uh, home run is then I think Michael Borky probably is going to feel like a bit of a failure yeah he's got a great swing the little guy uh, uh, but he's a lefty though I think that's good I, I, don't, I don't know if if he knows or not what he is but he can swing. And swing fluidly. And he can dribble a soccer ball really well, too. Two things that he just picked Mm -hmm. up. So I'm on the right track. So, I'm not into the... Look, I mean, you you guys know this. I'm a Yankees fan. I think it's really cool that Aaron Judge hit the home run. Right? Really cool that he did it. It was not appointment viewing for me. I was not... for, For every game that the Yankees have played for the last week and a half... Sitting around, watching every at-bat, hoping to get to see history happen. I do believe it was a significant milestone. 62, whenever it happened in the American League, was going to be significant. It was going to mean a lot. Roger Maris' record stood for six decades in the American League. Now I, I know Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, Barry Bonds, I, I, I get all of that, but so so you know how when we talk about vacated wins when the NCAA comes along? Yeah, and we're like, yeah, but I saw it happen. It's kind of how I feel about the home run record. It may be tainted by an era of baseball that is considered to be the steroid era. I'll give you that. But I saw the balls leave the yard. And so Barry Bonds is the home run king. He's hit more than anybody else. Would I have preferred somebody else to do it? Eh, maybe, but whatever. He, he's the home run king. Were Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa juicing? Sure they were. Hey, Sammy Soka, Sosa was swinging a corked bat at times. But did you see the ball come off of his bat and go over the fence a bunch of times? Yeah, you did. And your judge funny. is a freak of nature. And to me, that's kind of what makes this so cool. He's not built like baseball players are built. Baseball players are. 510, you know five eight to six feet tall and weigh from 155 to 210 pounds. He's six seven. He weighs 270. He looks like he's chiseled from granite and in an era where it's home run or strike out, he's been quite the opposite. His chase when, when he swings and misses, he misses badly. But he's got a really good eye at the plate. He walks a ton. He's hitting over 300. He's got a ton of runs batted in. He's not just hitting home runs. He's a complete hitter. He seems to be a really likable guy. And... I, am I making any sense? Do you think the moment was cool? It's cool, but it's not what... People are trying to make it be. And that's the thing. That's what I've noticed in all of this. I've consumed a lot of sports media today because I do basically every day. And you've got a lot of people that want this to be bigger. That are trying to... I feel like they're trying to talk themselves into thinking that last night was bigger than it actually was. If you want to talk about how this is cleaner, okay. You certainly can. Now... Uh, At least we forget that Aaron Judge was on a Yankees team that was using a camera on a closed-circuited feed to relay pitches to players. The Yankees got caught doing that, too. Remember that? Nobody's talking about that today. The Yankees, including Aaron Judge, cheated. He was on a team that was cheating and relaying pitches to batters, and his splits at home were better than his splits on the road. Does that mean he's not an objectively great home run hitter, though? No. Barry Bonds in 1993 hit 46 home runs, 49 home runs. Third most in his career, he hit 1993. He was an objectively great home run hitter for all of his two-decade-plus career. 2001 was an outlier for Barry Bonds. He hit over 50 home runs in a season one time. Judge has done it twice already, in six. The, there's one thing, Borky, that makes this season, to me, stand out more than any other of the other home run crazy seasons. And, and I'm not talking about going back to, to when Roger Maris was saying. I'm talking about Bonds, Sosa, Maguire. Everybody was hitting home runs in that era. Home run numbers are way down this season. Way down. And it's because the pitchers are so good. They're they're throwing so hard, they're throwing great breaking balls. Aaron Judge is sitting at 62 home runs. The next closest is Philadelphia's Kyle Schwarber with 46. Yeah. And oh by the way, he is a 2.19 batting average hitter and has struck out 199 times this year. Ooh. After Schwarber, Pete Alonso with the Mets has hit 40. Mike Trout in 119 games this year has 39 home runs. Austin Riley with the Braves has 38. Jordan Alvarez has 37. Christian Walker with Arizona's got 36. Mookie Betts, just a complete baseball player, 35. Goldschmidt in an MVP type season with the Cardinals. 35 home runs. The great Shoei Otani, who probably should be the MVP, but I think Aaron Judge is going to be. Yeah. He had 34 home runs this year. And went 12 and 4 on the mound. Opponents hitting like 190 off of him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But to me, that's what makes this special for Aaron Judge. He hit 62 home runs in a season when the next closest person was 16 behind him. And that's assuming he doesn't hit another one today, although surely he's getting the day off. I haven't even looked at the lineup for the Yankees today. Some of you said, yawn, we'll get to football next. Sports Talk Mississippi, but that was a pretty big sports story.
1: Nothing brings people together and forms a lasting bond like
0: sports. Sports Talk Mississippi, covering your favorite teams like no one else. On the Super Talk app, supertalk.fm, and on your local Super Talk Mississippi radio station.
4: For the record, Aaron Judge not in the lineup for the New York Yankees today. They had said once he hit 62, he was going to get a day off. He played 157 of 162 regular season games this year. He's earned it. He earned a day off. Um, Before we transit, what I was saying earlier about Bonds in, in 93 in particular was when we had somebody on the text line say, well, he only hit home runs that would have been warning track balls if not for the juice. How do you know? Did did, did did the juice only work in 2001? Why didn't it work in 2000? Why didn't it work in 2002 or 1999? Because every other year of his career he was the same long before he beefed up. So did he only juice in 2001? You don't know for sure. And, and, and maybe it's tainted, maybe you want to put an asterisk there, whatever. But you don't know for sure how much it helped. They wouldn't do it if they didn't think it didn't help. Uh, Of course not. But you don't know how much. And he was an objectively great hitter for his entire career. It's not like he beefed up and suddenly became a great hitter. He was a great hitter, great home run hitter, and then beefed up and for one outlier year broke the record. So, since you don't know for sure, why are you trying to convince everybody that this was better than the home run chase in 98 and Barry Bonds in 2001? I can't can't just stand on its own. That's the thing. This was a great season. Judge is a really compelling guy. And, like you said, he's a huge guy. Watching that mammoth dude hit home runs is cool. But it wasn't better. It was better when people were hitting more, when there were multiple people hitting more. The golden age of baseball in my lifetime, when it was most exciting, when it was appointment viewing, was back then. Is this, uh, unrelated to what you're saying, the greatest bet-on-yourself story in free agency history? Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Aaron Judge decided not to do the deal that the Yankees offered him going into the season said, let's let it play out. All he did was go out and play in 157 of 162 regular season games, lead the Yankees to 99 or 100 regular season wins, depending on how they finish uh, against the Rangers today, and um, set a new American League home run record while hitting over 300 and driving in 100 and however many, I I can't remember, it's 100, uh, 131. Here's the line, 311 batting average, he did strike out 175 times, but that's kind of how Major League Baseball works these days. He also had 111 walks, 131 strikeouts, 62 home runs, 28 doubles, 177 total hits, and 570 at-bats. What a monster sent for Aaron Judge. So, we talked about this uh, a little bit um, last week, about number 61. The owner of a sports memorabilia auction house, J.P. Cohen, he's the president of Memory Lane Incorporated in Tustin, California, told the Associated Press earlier today that he has texted and emailed Corey Humans. The man who caught the home run ball in Texas last night and said that the offer for the ball is $2 million. You know what sucks about this? The guy that caught it manages a multi billion dollar hedge fund. Yeah, good for him. Good for him, right? Like, hey, I don't fault his career. Like, good for you, man. I wish I had your career. It would have been cooler if it was the lasagna guy who owns a pizza shop, you know what I mean? Or like a a guy that's been a barbecue pit master outside of Dallas his whole life, and he happened to be sitting in the front row of the outfield and caught the ball, and now his life is changing forever. No, it's just some hedge fund guy. Like, yeah. it, you know, he. It's not a cool story. It's His wife was on The Bachelor. <laughs> I'm serious. I know, yeah, Brie... Amaranthus. And she couldn't wait to tweet, this is my husband. Oh, you, oh, you know it. She's yeah. not happy for him. She's happy for her to say she's happy for him. Yes, in, indeed. Uh, <laughs> he was sitting on the front row of the left field section, caught the ball on the fly. I do love that he actually caught it and it didn't like bounce around, and he was the guy that like dug it out from underneath a bleacher seat. So that's kind of cool. Asked what he's going to do with the ball last night. He said, good question. I haven't thought about it. Um, Record price for a home run ball paid is $3 million. That was for Mark McGuire's 70th in the 1998 season. So we'll see. Judge was asked about it. He said, I don't know where it's at. We'll see what happens. It'd be great to get it back. But that's a souvenir for a fan. He made a great catch out there, and they've got every right to it. Yeah, judge is cool man did you have you seen his quote by the way about 73 very simple that's the record of course it is that's it and that's a uh that's a good quote that's a good quote he seems like a good dude he's good for good for the sport somebody said it'd be great if the guy barking popcorn or cold beer had been the one to catch it yeah see exactly like that that would have been way better than some billionaire hedge fund guy with all yeah. due respect to billionaire hedge fund guys, make your money how you make it. I'm not pocket-watching. Yeah. People are pointing out, and I don't want this to turn into a steroid conversation, that uh, pitchers were juicing, too, in that era, and that's true. Uh, until you have seen Bonds live up close on the field, and you hear and see the way the ball comes off his bat compared to any other player on the field, you have no clue the amount of thunder in his bat. And that was Skinnyberry Bonds in Pittsburgh. That's from Ryan and Madison. Yeah, I I do. I listened to a guy this morning that said, and I actually agreed with this take, he was like, it's a shame that he felt the need to do it, because he probably would have been a, a Hall of Fame guy without it. Oh, there's no doubt he was a Hall of Fame. He might yeah. have been the all-time home run king without it. Yeah, and so it's a shame that he chose to taint that when he was, I mean, 40-plus bombs a year for almost two decades. He didn't need it, and he, he still did it. And then we get to Texas, his bonds never failed a drug test. Yeah, we know. Right. His his head just swelled to a size 8 just because of I mean, natural, you know, as you get older, that happens. We all know what's up. Sure. All right, let's talk about some football games. We've talked uh, about lines for the SEC. Let's look at the top 25 matchups this weekend. Pretty good slate of games. He gets started at 11 on Fox with number 4 Michigan at Indiana. Indiana has uh, they've kind of had a tough go of it this year. They are 3-2 and on the year, but back-to-back losses to Cincinnati and Nebraska. Nebraska gets its first win post-Scott Frost this past weekend. That's after beating Illinois, Idaho, and Western Kentucky to start the season. Uh, And two of those three wins were by three points. Would imagine that Michigan is going to be able to name its score in Bloomington, Indiana on Saturday. Tom Allen's group has taken a big step back from 2020. They have.
3: They absolutely have. I thought they were they were moving into that comfortably into that middle tier of the Big Ten, and nope, nope, still in the bottom.
4: Have you noticed something this weekend? By the way, so we talked about 11 a.m. games, and State's got one this weekend. Ole Miss had one last weekend. They're going to have one next week, the weekend after this one. Mm -hmm. Uh, The best block of games this weekend, 11 a.m. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You got Michigan at Indiana, number eight Tennessee at number twenty-five LSU. That's at eleven on ESPN, FS1 at eleven. And come on, Fox, this game should have been on Big Fox, not on FS1. But it's okay. Number seventeen TCU at number nineteen Kansas in Lawrence College Game Day. I'm assuming it's sold out again. Yes. And this is a heck a lot of uh, a lot of fun. And then Arkansas State. And then Arkansas and Mississippi State is also at 11 a.m. on the SEC Network. It's by far the best block of games this weekend, easily. Maybe the best game that Dave Neal, Deuce McAllister have had to call since they have been together on the SEC Network. This is their second full season together. I can't Mm -hmm. think of another one that has been this good that falls into that window for them. It's a really good spot. Uh 130 Central Time, South Florida at Cincinnati. I only know because I'm doing that game that this one is sold out as well. Homecoming in Cincinnati, a sellout for the number twenty four ranked Bearcats, who have maybe nah, that's a stretch. One of the best linebackers in the country. And he is a transfer from Miami of Ohio. Cincinnati has only seven players that they got out of the transfer portal, and all seven of them are big time contributors. Kind of going through their stuff. You know, we've talked loosely about Cincinnati throughout the course of the season, and, and I've used the phrase, Luke Fickle not building a team, he's building a program. As I've really kind of dug into them, and Cincinnati has not lost a home game since 2018. Wow. It's in a good league, too. In a good league. That has turned into a really, really good football program. We'll look at the rest of the slate involving the top 25 when we come back.
0: Back to the sports. This is Sports Talk Mississippi. Sounds good. Mississippi.
4: Brad in the C Spire text line Brad and Jackson points out that your ears and your nose get bigger and hair starts growing in strange places as you get old, older so maybe your head does get bigger also. I added that last part. I don't know. What's that all about? What what your ears and your nose never stop growing allegedly?
3: The hair in them certainly doesn't. Yeah.
4: Yeah. All right. Walking through the games involving top twenty-five teams this weekend. Auburn is at number two, Georgia, where the dogs are a thirty point favorite. That is your 2:30 game on CBS. Ooh, good call there. Uh, people are doing that thing that they do when a player on an underdog says something that indicates that he thinks his team can win. You know, that tragic sin. And this time it was, I forget the Auburn player, truthfully, but he said, if we can get Georgia out of their third-down packages, I think we can dominate. Okay. And people are running with it. Oh, that's bulletin board material. How Disrespect.
3: What do you well, want him to say? It's not bulletin board material. It's just dump. It's the phrasing. It's the phrasing. It's not we can beat them or something. This is the quote from Auburn Center Brandon Council. If we can keep them out of their third down packages, we can demolish them, I believe. Georgia could start every every drive on third down, and you're not gonna demolish them. It's just silly. I mean, show some respect. Your team is terrible. That's the number that's the defending national champs you should be happy if you get off the field alive demolish seems like a poor
4: word choice but it's the center it's strong it's, it's, it's a, <laughs> I, I mean I, I will never begrudge somebody for being confident about their ability to do good things in sports ever yeah.
3: the, the the work that stupid confident people have done for our country is incredible
4: you're not wrong Texas Tech is at number seven, Oklahoma State. Speaking of programs, is Mike Gundy the most undervalued coach in major college football? No doubt. He's up there for sure. He and Whittingham at Utah. I mean, think about how hard it is. The state of Oklahoma does not produce the way the state of Mississippi does. It is it does not produce high high level athletes to fill rosters. And you are the second tier in that state. And yet win, 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 NFL players, more winning. Goofy press conferences, butting heads with the now deceased billionaire booster. Doesn't matter. Just keep L- just wins. listen to this run. Since two thousand and five, when Mike Gundy became the head coach, year number one, they went four and seven. Since then, seven and six, seven and six, nine and four, nine and four, eleven and two, twelve and one, eight and five, ten and three, seven and six, ten and three, ten and three, ten and three, seven and six, eight and five, eight and three, twelve and two, and off to a four and zero start. That's really good stuff from Mike Gundy.
3: Yeah, he runs a, a very friendly offensive system that gets people excited to play for him. He makes it easy to recruit playmakers. He does a good job of finding those guys.
4: He's a good has coach. made a bowl game every single year since his first season. It's crazy. Okay. Another, I mean, this goes back to something that was brought up on Monday, but he's got Texas and Oklahoma still on the schedule, and three ranked teams still on the schedule either of which are Texas and Oklahoma. Yeah. So he's got three ranked teams on the road and Texas and Oklahoma left, but man, even one loss here with what they've got left, there's a chance at Oklahoma State, not a chance. They are playing for playoff status. They're good enough to do it. It's a tough road, which is hard to believe that you would be saying about road games at TCU in Kansas, but it's a it's a tough road if they navigate it even with the blemish they would have a case. They would. And about Mike Mike Gundy, why is it that nobody's been able to figure out a way to hire him away? Because it feels like he's wanted to go. Tennessee's kind of kicked the tires a couple of times. Feels like Auburn kind of kicked the tires. Arkansas may have kind of kicked the tires before they hired Sam Pittman. Yeah, maybe it lost a little bit of luster because he likes the crazy conservative news network, like not Fox, the the one that's like even to the right of that. Yeah, has he wanted to go or just uh, has he been using the open jobs for leverage to get more money from his current one? Yeah, maybe, maybe. It's
3: all together possible. He might be the the coach that we all talk about. You know, we all want our coach to be right. The guy who's like, I'm happy here. I can win
4: here. I'm winning. Why go? Make money. Guys, big-time game in the Pac-12. Number 11, Utah, at number 18, UCLA. A game that's going to kick off at 2.30 Central time on Fox. That's what the Pac-12 has been clamoring for, right? Some marquee games in time slots that don't have the... Pac 12 after dark moniker attached to them. Since losing in the opener to Florida, Utah has been what we thought they were going to be. They've been really good. 4 0 since then, 4 1 overall, back to number 11 after starting the season at number 7. And UCLA has quietly gone 5 and 0. They got a good quarterback in Dorian Thompson Robinson. Zach Charbonnet, who you remember kind of burst onto the scene with a big game against LSU a season ago, he's continuing to play well. I guess in looking at how UCLA has gotten to five and zero, a win over Bowling Green, a win over Alabama State, a one point win at home against South Alabama, they blow out Colorado on the road, and now they've got uh, they have a win last week against Washington, and that's by far their best win of the season. to and now they get Utah at home. Five of the first six games this season for UCLA inside the Rose Bowl. Surely the crowd will be better this weekend also. Surely. You would hope. The combined crowd still wouldn't fill up the place so far this year. But, man, DTR is electric. He, he, he's a lot of fun. If you guys are bored with Auburn, Georgia, which I expect you to be bored with Auburn, Georgia, and you're a state fan and you don't feel like watching Ole Miss Vanderbilt, I, I would check that one out to watch okay. him play. He's
3: fun. Yeah, I don't understand why Dylan Gabriel was headed there yeah. at first. Yeah, what was that? It doesn't make a lick of sense. And now that you've watched Dylan Gabriel more, you're like, it really doesn't make any sense. Yeah.
4: Number three, Ohio State is at Michigan State. Number nine, Ole Miss at Vanderbilt. Number twenty-one, Washington at Arizona State. So the Huskies trying to bounce back from a loss, and they get to go to uh, Tempe to try and do that. That should work out well for them. That finishes up the afternoon window for teams in the top twenty-five. Then you get into the evening slot, six thirty Central, ABC. Number five, Clemson at Boston College. Ugh. 630 on Fox, Washington State at number 6, USC. That's Southern Cal. That's that is infinitely more watchable. Oh, yeah. Washington yeah. State's got something going here.
3: They're entertaining. Yeah.
4: What was it, a three-point loss to uh, to Oregon on the road? Oh, they right? had him on the ropes.
3: Yeah, they uh, had them on the ropes and couldn't hold them in.
4: They've got uh, Cam Ward from Incarnate Ward. Ward from Ward. Mm-hmm. As their quarterback, he, he's, he throws a little shot put. His throwing motion... It's just horrible. Uh, But he throws accurate footballs and completes touchdowns, so who cares? Uh, They're fun and interesting, and USC has played with fire a little bit. Maybe this is where they finally get burned. Maybe? Probably not. Probably not, but maybe. There's always maybe in college football. Completing 60, if we round up, 9% of his passes. 1,000. Four hundred forty-five yards, thirteen touchdowns, seven interceptions. That's a really good get for Washington State. Yeah. South Carolina at number thirteen, Kentucky. Get in the door price on ticket for that. tickets for that game. Seventy-eight bucks. Wow. Good for them. Yeah. I mean, you think you know the answer about Mark Stoops' program at this point, right? But this is a, a good emotional test for them. Can you get back off the mat and fight and play well? I expect them to do that. Same here.
3: Yeah, you would expect that from a Mark Stoops coach team.
4: A rare night game for the Army Black Knights. Army off to a 1-3 and three start. They're at number 15 Wake Forest. That's at 6.30 tomorrow night, streaming only. How about this one? 630 on NBC from Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. Number sixteen BYU and a slightly resurgent Notre Dame.
5: Yeah.
3: No yeah, that slight resurgence will soon be coming to an end at the hands of BYU.
4: Have you seen, by the way, who BYU's next game is against? It's Arkansas. It's Arkansas. They have an open date before that? Because that's not until the... F- uh, no, you're right. That is immediately following.
3: It's next week. Yeah. That's brutal for Arkansas. Jeez. Oh,
4: Whew. Isn't that the truth? And that was in Provo. And then they go to Liberty the following week. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm and SuperTalk TV. Going to be a good college football weekend. We'll be right
0: back. Now, back to Sports Talk Mississippi. Say that again. Please say
1: it.
0: Now, back to Sports Talk Mississippi. Sorry, poorly timed joke, completely inappropriate. <laughs> On Super Talk, Mississippi.
4: games that are happening this weekend involving top 25 teams. Number 20, Kansas State at Iowa State. That's a 6:30 kickoff on ESPNU. 7 o'clock when CBS selected this as their primetime game, they were convinced it was going to be a top 10 matchup. Instead, it's number one versus unranked. Alabama hosting Texas A&M. 7 o'clock on CBS in T-Town. Would you believe that the get-in-the-door ticket price for this game is less than the get-in-the-door ticket price for South Carolina-Kentucky? Wow. 78 bucks is the cheapest ticket available at Kroger Field in Lexington for the Gamecocks and the Wildcats. $69 will get you in in Tuscaloosa for Texas A&M and number nice. one Alabama. Thank you, it's up. a nice price. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Saban's going to say something, and then on three going to tell everybody that he's clearly frustrated at, at his current job. Um, yeah, you could see two backups in that game too. Yeah. Oh, although, yeah, at, at Texas I'm A&M, going... it doesn't. Yeah. So who's the backup at Texas A&M? I mean, are we saying yeah. Haynes King, who came in for <laughs> Max Johnson? Are we talking about the the weekend kid, the the third string quarterback? Because the other two have sucked.
3: It Can't be much worse. No. And they ima- imagine throwing him into the, to a hundred thousand Alabama <laughs> fans. Just dude, you got it, kid. No problem. We've seen that before. We have.
4: You remember? A couple of years mm-hmm. ago, first start for John Rice Plumley. CBS yeah. two thirty in Tuscaloosa. Here you go, kid. It worked out well though. He actually did uh, pretty well in that game. And he played He did, was really okay, pumped yeah. up about that game. He just remembered and got really excited about that. Yeah, I was really excited there for a second. Uh, this game, I read a column this morning that I actually agreed with a lot of it. Um uh, a and M's not happen very often. It was an interesting use of the of the word actually in terms of sentence placement. I, I do think a lot of college football media d- just does not think deep enough. Now some guys do. Guests of our show: Josh Pate, uh, Wasserman, it, Staples, Dellinger. Those guys think, and I like reading their stuff. But it, it was one from somebody that I, I think is very on the surface that talked about this game and the lead into this game, what it should be versus what it is. And what it is, is everybody talking about how abysmal Texas A&M has been. And could you imagine the Jimbo Sabin dueling press conferences not being the lead story this week back when that happened? But it's not. It's an afterthought. Like you said yesterday, Jimbo Fisher behind a microphone with the official Texas A&M logo behind him and an endorsement from his athletic director threatened to bring down Nick Saban threatened him, and that is not the story this week because of how bad they've been. Not the story at all. No, it's an afterthought. It's Bryce Young's shoulder, but mostly Texas A&M has a schedule that you look at it and you think, you know, $90 million is not something that I think they're going to pay, but if it goes the way it could possibly go with how they've played, Ross Bjork's going to be fielding some calls asking him to pay it.
1: Hmm. Yeah.
4: So nobody's even talking about the, the actual threat. Jimbo Fisher's taking a football team to Nick Saban's house after he threatened to ruin his career. Florida State at NC State, who's ranked 14th. Seminoles lost last week to Wake Forest. NC State lost last week to Clemson. Those were previously undefeated teams. And number 12, Oregon, is at Arizona. That's your slate of games involving top 25 teams. Uh, Hey, Dad, did you know that we actually have college football on television tonight? Do we now? Yes, we do. Tell me more. SMU. At UCF, 6 o'clock tonight on ESPN2. This was supposed to be played last weekend with the hurricane moving into and out of the state of Florida about this time last week. And the uncertainty that surrounded that. And Michael Borke reminded me that both of these teams had open dates. I believe this weekend. This week. They were able to push it back. Play on Wednesday, still kind of get the benefit of, like, a week and a half off between games.
0: Sports Talk Mississippi. Ah! Sports Talk Mississippi. Your new home for exclusive sports coverage here in the Magnolia State. How do you like that? I love it. On Super Talk Mississippi.
4: Sports Talk, Mississippi, halfway to another college football weekend as we sit here on this Wednesday afternoon, the 5th of October, in the Pearl River Resort Studios. Pearl River Resort, the home of the sports book at Time Out Lounge. You can be a part of the conversation. C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. Want to give your business the edge? Let see Spire help. Get blazing fast, Internet gigabit fiber internet from C Spire Business. It's backed by world-class IT experts who live where you do. Right here in C Spire Country. Check availability now at cspire.com business. Apparently, Dan in Hattiesburg, I misspoke a moment ago. I guess I said that John Rice Plumley plays for East Carolina. Did I say that? I did. My bad. Too much time in the American Athletic Conference for me. We all know that he plays for UCF. Forgive me for airing. Like, I'm not going to argue with you that I said that, because I probably did, but I certainly don't remember saying that. I don't either. Anyway. Uh, also, Texas A&M has boosters that can ask Ross Bjork, which pocket do you want the $90 million from?
3: May 19th. Apparently... On a, uh, another show that airs at this time on the SEC network, Paul Feinbaum. Some AM fan was just on the phone and said, A hitman is a lot cheaper than a $95 million buyout.
4: Wow. Harvey Updike 2.0. <laughs> <laughs> Things are going well in College Station. Need to go Goodness. ahead and divert that number to the Texas Bureau of Investigation? It's yeah. Not the Federal yeah. Bureau of Investigation. Yikes! It's a billionaire on it?
3: oil man. Nothing happens.
4: How did how did Finebaum handle
3: that? I don't know. I need to, I need to watch the clip when it when it finally comes out. But somebody just tweeted about
4: it. Uh in the meantime, let's go back to May nineteenth. Jimbo in a hastily called press conference. I think we need to listen. I think we have forgotten. How vitriolic this response from Jimbo Fisher was. A grown man that makes $9.5 million a year was having none of Nick Saban's nonsense. Three minutes and 13 seconds of Jimbo Fisher unfiltered. Alabama? Uh,
5: yes, I would. First of all, I'll say it's a shame that we have to do this. It's really despicable. It's despicable that somebody can say things about somebody and an organ More importantly, 17-year-old kids we are taking shots at 17-year-old kids and their families. They broke state laws. They're, they're, they're all money. We bought every player on this group. We never bought anybody. No rules were broken. Nothing was done wrong. It was all in the, and the way we do things, the ethics in which we do things. And these families, it's despicable that a reputable head coach could come out and say this when he doesn't get his way or things don't go his way. The narcissist in him doesn't allow those things to happen. It's ridiculous. But when, when he's not on top, and the parody in college football he's been talking about, go talk to coaches who coach for him. You'll find out all the parody. Go dig into wherever he's been. You can find out anything. And it's a shame that you got to sit here and defend 17-year-old kids and families in Texas A&M. Because we do things right. We're always going to do things right. But we're, not, we're always going to be here. We're doing a heck of a job. These coaches have done a great job. Our players have done a great job. The whole organization of recruiting people. It's despicable that we got to sit there at this level of ball and, and say these things to defend the people of this organization, the kids, 17-year-old kids, and their families. It's amazing. Some people think they're God. Go dig into how God did his, his deal. You may find out about, about a guy that a lot of things you don't want to know. We built him up to be the czar of football. Go dig into his past or anybody that's ever coached with him. You can find out anything you want to find out, what he does and how he does it. And it's despicable. It really is. And it's a shame we have to set up here and have this conversation about things we do. And it, and it's personal to us? Yes, it is. It's personal to A&M. It's personal to our players. It's personal to our coaches and everybody involved. And I know the guy. I know him really well. It's amazing. We're allowed to do those things. It's really despicable. And I, and I hate it. For our players who are coming here, who did things the right way, have done things the right way, and will continue to do things the right way, I apologize to you that people insult you publicly the way they're doing it. And our fans, I, I apologize to you guys for people saying those things about Texas A&M. I promise you this. There are no there are no violations. There are nothing wrong. It's the second time we've had to do this with grown men who don't get their way and want to pout, throw a fit, and act up. Just go ask all the people who work for him; You'll know exactly what he's about. I always said this. My dad always told me this. When people show you who they are, believe them. He's showing you who he is. Questions. Is that to the left, Olin. Uh, a couple of things, Jimbo. First of all, have you had any contact with Nick since? No. Uh, oh, he's called. You just didn't take the call. Not going to. We're done. Okay. And uh, he shows you who he is. And then I just wanted to. He's the greatest ever, huh? And then I just wanted you to. You got all the advantages. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Easy. And I just wanted to. Uh, just put it point blank so no players and you're you're saying that no players in there's the no, no law re- laws anything any we ever or... promised done anything that goes against the laws of the state of Texas and it's insulting to say a 17 year old and his family broke laws no
2: down front Brent you
6: know y'all have both spoken so highly of each other in the past in terms of what y'all have done in your previous relationship so how disappointing was it to hear that from him you know in terms of you know, a mentor type to get It's discipline.
5: Well. No, I wasn't. No, listen. You coach with people like Bobby Bowden and learn how to do things. You coach with other people and learn how not to do things.
4: <laughs> There's a reason people don't go. I, he didn't like that mentor comment.
3: <laughs> Despicable. So much going on. By the way, what is it about coaches talking about doing things the right way? They can't get their offense going. I, I don't know. I don't know. If you hear your coach say we do things the right way, you can expect ten points. That's all you're getting. Hmm.
4: It just felt like going back and listening to that again. When we're three days away it's, from these two teams meeting on the football field, it's so much
3: worse that now. Now that we've given it time and we've seen how everything's played out, and it's just worse somehow. And since then, you have... And you're right. The biggest, the biggest hypocrisy in there is him saying, "Ask the coaches who coach with him. Okay, you coach
4: with him. Tell, tell us, us all about it. Tell us. You got a microphone." And there was, there was Lane Kiffin shot in there, too. Oh, yeah. right. Yeah. Second, second, second time coach. we've had to do this for grown men in the last couple of, it's, it's Despicable. What, what are we doing? 17-year-olds. Yeah, he called Lane <laughs> Kiffin a clown. Yeah, that happened. I still think that if Ole Miss beats Texas A&M in College Station, Lane Kiffin needs to take the podium after the game with a clown nose on. He might even should take a little longer and, like, go to a makeup artist and, like, show up as Bozo the Clown with, like, the big red head. Cool, that air cool clown that like, makeup, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Does Nike make clown shoes? Dale from the Delta. Hilarious. You can tell he was ready for that. He was out of breath. Um, <laughs> somebody ask what he ingested into his body before that press conference. That's every press conference.
3: That's Despicable. That's despicable that you would say that. I want to do says, a segment uh, where I just interrupt Richard like uh, like he was interrupting Olin Buchanan there, too. Just for everything Richard says, I'm just like,
4: he's tried. I think it's great someone finally stood up to Saban. You think it's great? Well, he's about to stand down on Saturday night. <laughs> he's about to bow down to him. How many 17-year-olds actually play football at A&M? <laughs> Well, and what's so funny about that is, like, two months later, one of his assistant coaches is pointing at the luxury boxes on a tour, saying, "Those are the guys that are going to pay you to come here." <laughs> uh, I think Jimbo showed us who he is on this. Jeff and Grenada Can says, you guys it's get paid to do this." I'm jealous. That's true. He's the boxcar Willie of the SEC. Uh, (laughs) Perfect analogy of coaching the right way. Ellis Johnson said Larry Fedora didn't coach the right way. That's from Michael. There you go. Ten points. Jimbo sounds like if you hit the double speed button of an audible reading of Larry the Cable Guy's autobiography.
3: Dang. (laughs)
4: We got her done I want a Jimbo Despicable t-shirt No one gets more defensive of and more upset than someone accused of something they actually did That's from Chase in Columbus No
3: doubt The hit dog hollers is the, uh, the Mississippi term for that
1: Yeah
4: No doubt If that didn't happen, he would have handled it totally differently. I mean, is Alabama the sympathetic figure on Saturday night?
3: Incredibly, yes. They're the good guys. (laughs) I I want to see 48-3. You know how hard that
4: is? (laughs) To make people cheer for Alabama? You know how hard you had to work? In the battle of good versus evil at Bryant-Denny Stadium on Saturday night. It's the guys in, in maroon for... that are carrying the pitchfork with the pointy red ears.
3: Wow. you are cheering for Darth Vader.
4: Mm. My guess is that Alabama fans have not forgotten. <laughs> no. We'll take a timeout. Hey, when we come back, we're going to hear from Sam Pittman from the SEC football teleconference earlier today about the health of his quarterback
0: hey, let's go to the junction in the grove and to the top Don't hurt yourself. sports talk mississippi on super talk mississippi <laughs>
4: Sports Talk Mississippi brought to you in part by M-Trade Park. You can find them online at mtradepark.com, but it's not really about the website. It's about the facility, which is absolutely spectacular. 14 synthetic turf infields for baseball and fast pitch, natural grass, outfields, soccer fields that are absolutely second to none. Fall tournament time is winding down. Maybe a couple of events left, but you can enter your teams in but the spring schedule is set as you begin building your team's schedule, whether it's baseball, softball, or soccer for the spring. Be sure that you are including M-Trade Park. If you're going to play, play M-Trade, mtradepark.com. Richard Cross, Michael Borkey, Brian Haydad. Big one in Starkville, 11 a.m. kickoff on Saturday. Weather is going to be pristine. Mississippi State and Arkansas Biggest question going into this game is about the health of KJ Jefferson. All 14 coaches in the SEC participate in a weekly Wednesday teleconference that is administered by the league office. Sam Pittman earlier today was asked about the health of KJ Jefferson.
1: We've kind of got a rule: you got to practice, you got to do something on Wednesday. Uh, well, not kind of. We do have a rule that you have to you have to participate in practice on Wednesday in order to travel uh, to the game. So that will check that box. So I can tell you, he's he, he's going to be on the plane. You know, uh, okay. How far? Um, assuming Tom that that I don't get from here that he's not going to practice at all. You know, but uh, if he practices at all, he'll be on the plane. And then I really do think. Now, I know you guys may or may not think I'm being real vague on this, but I'm just telling you the truth. I, I have no idea because I don't know how how well uh, he's going to react to physical movement, you know, and if he reacts really well, then we'll have a decision to make of what we're, what we're, what we're going to move forward uh, depending on how much he practices today.
4: Something you didn't hear that Sam Pittman said, KJ has not practiced to this point. We still don't know whether he'll be able to practice today or not. Our rule kind of is is you've got to practice on Wednesday if you're going to play on Saturday, so it's just kind of a wait and see. Honestly, I don't know if he'll be able to practice today or not, but there's obviously a chance that he will. He also said he's been in all meetings. He's been to both practices. We're just waiting to see if he's able to practice. In all honesty, I don't have that answer right now as we're sitting here. If he's able to practice, then we'll certainly practice him. If he's not, then we won't. That's certainly not my call, but whatever that is, then we'll look at them and go from there. I have no idea if K.J. Jefferson's playing for Arkansas on Saturday. I know they would like for him to. Just kind of going out on a limb there. Arkansas would like for number one to That's, play on Saturday in Starkville. We we talked yesterday
3: about the kind of analysis we provide on this show. That's a, a shining example of it right there. That broadcast school's really paying off. <laughs> that am I dropping, Richard. Thank you. But, yeah, man, you're absolutely correct. I mean... I, I feel like it's going to be tough for Arkansas anyway because defensively, I feel like they're going to be challenged against Mississippi State. This is the worst pass defense, one of the worst in the country against the air raid offense, that that you're automatically sort of behind the eight ball. You're going to have to score some points to win this football game. You're going to have to be able to get in the 20s or 30s. And without K.J. Jefferson, I don't know how they're going to do that. I feel like they'll be very one-dimensional offensively.
4: You know, the the two options for them at quarterback without K.J. Jefferson are Cade Fortin, who came in after Jefferson was hurt last week against Alabama. He is a walk-on transfer from South Florida. He's got four career starts. Um, Sam Pittman about Fortin said he just wanted to find a place where he thought he could grow. He liked Mark Calla, to be honest with you. He had some sort of relationship with him before, and he obviously knew about Kendall, talking about Kendall Bryles. So they struck up a relationship. I didn't know a tremendous amount about him, except I had recruited his high school, because they had an offensive lineman there when I was at Georgia. So he knew me, and I knew him because I had been at his high school several times his senior year. And then he talked about the fact that they needed depth at the position. You remember if we rewind to the beginning of the year, Arkansas talking about a package in place for Malik Hornsby, the wide receiver who can fly, who is listed or has been listed as their backup quarterback. I don't know about throwing the football, though. You know? What what, what does that mean? When you talk about a, having a package for a guy who can absolutely fly and you make no reference to his ability to throw the ball, then that kind of makes you wonder if this guy is a an incomplete player. Yeah. In fairness, when K.J. Jefferson got the starting job at Arkansas, he was an extremely incomplete player. The job that Arkansas staff has done in developing KJ Jefferson as a quarterback is one of the best coaching like individual coaching jobs in college football in the last few years.
3: I mean he could he could only run when he first started at, at yeah. Arkansas. And now he's Absolutely. actually a, a pretty good passer.
4: Yeah. It means be prepared for seeing things you haven't seen yet. That's the biggest challenge for Zach Arnett this week. If it is, in fact, him. If it's Hornsby and that's who they go with, you're going to see things you haven't seen on film yet. Because Jefferson's a good runner. Not, they are very different, though. Very, very different in terms of running. So they're going to have to maybe even adjust on the fly and kind of scheme up on the fly because Kendall Bryles is going to do things with him that you have not seen on film yet. So you got to be prepared for that and adjust accordingly. That, that's what this says about State and their challenge this week. With KJ Jefferson, it's like trying to tackle a Hummer. With Malik Hornsby, it's like yeah. trying to catch a Ferrari. Yeah, that's, that, yeah, that's kind mean, of what it's, you're it's dealing speed with versus and,
3: power, for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
4: Not that KJ Jefferson's slow. Here's the thing that I'm intrigued by, or, or interested, or fascinated, or whatever the right way to describe it is. If Arkansas plays KJ Jefferson, if he's cleared through all of the concussion protocol and they feel good about his ability to play and play well, do you get KJ Jefferson per usual? The physical, bruising, run downhill, try to run over you if he's got to quarterback? Or is it a K.J. Jefferson that's got some training wheels where they're trying not to get him hit? They're not using him necessarily in the run game the way they normally do. Because that, to me,
3: seems dangerous. You would rather have no K.J. Jefferson than K.J. Jefferson who's trying not to get hurt.
4: Yeah, that, that That's a scary setup for me. It's like if he's cleared then he's all the way cleared and he's our quarterback and we're playing the way we've always played him. But if we can't do that, don't clear him. I think that's the way I would be looking at that if I was in Sam Pittman's shoes. You guys agree with that?
3: Yes. Either he's all the way good or he's not good at all.
4: What do you think they're Borky? It's kind of how it has to be, right? I mean, do you prefer a medically cleared 70% KJ Jefferson? Yeah. To whatever your other option is? I mean, at this time of year, you're lucky if you're not banged up one place or another. I mean, that's kind of the nature of the game. Guys are hurt, you got to play hurt. Uh, based on what I've seen from the other options that Arkansas has, if he is fully cleared of a concussion, but he still has some other ailments, but he can go at seventy percent. That's it. I mean, I, I don't think I don't think they're winning with him, but I sure don't think they're winning without him. Yeah, you need him. D- does the place where the line has settled for this game at eight? Does that feel like the right number?
3: It's gone up. Oh, has it moved again? It's 9.5 now. Oh, my goodness. He, he's, he's not playing. That, that, that's a sign that he's not playing. I mean, let me double-check that make sure I'm right. But
4: You're right. It's sitting at 9.5 with the over-under at 59.
3: That's, that's, a, that's a statement that he's probably not playing. The All Vegas right, so, hey,
4: Dad, you said yesterday if this thing slides to 10 then that's almost the spot where even without K.J. Jefferson, you'd be willing to say, you know what, I'll take the points. Are you there yet?
3: Me personally, I wouldn't bet that, but I think a lot of fans could feel comfortable betting it.
4: Laying the nine and a half? Yeah. I kind of think at this point, if you're going to play it, you, you probably better play it and get it where you care. You could have gotten it eight, and earlier in the week, you could have gotten it yeah. six and a half. It, it's getting more expensive. They're trying to price you out of making that play. Trey Biddy will join us next. He covers Arkansas. We'll uh, we'll talk with him about this.
0: Hey, guys. What, happened? what the heck are you doing? Sports Talk Mississippi on your radio and in the game. Sports Talk Mississippi.
4: Wednesday afternoon with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, rolling along in this 4 o'clock hour. Time to go to the Farm Bureau guest line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team at Mississippi Farm Bureau. Trey Biddy joins us right now. He's the publisher at hogsports.com and covering the Razorbacks for a long time. Trey, thanks uh, for some time this afternoon. We've tried to listen to... Everything that Sam Pittman has said, everything that has been written, I'm sure you've done that on steroids this week, trying to figure out the answer to the question, what about K.J. Jefferson? So i ask you, what about K.J. Jefferson? Yeah, just
6: don't know yet. Uh, They say he's got to practice Wednesday before they really, you know, before they feel comfortable, I guess, putting him in and with the game plan. I would think that they would probably be willing to extend it since it is such an important position, but we could see kate fortin we could see malik hornsby if kj doesn't play then i think we'll see both of those quarterbacks and as Pittman said they'll probably go with the hot hand but uh, your guess is as good as mine right now now obviously you know if he hasn't said it's concussion protocol but he did say after the game that he was hitting the head my experience with any time that there's something like that the guy doesn't play next week and you know even if you see him in warm-ups before the game that's kind of usually part of the process they you know they, they warm up before the game and then and then don't play so i wouldn't expect to see him just on based on the the language that's been used so far but uh, we'll see we'll, we'll find out shortly but uh right now i would say probably not going to see him that's just Trey, a guess
4: yeah we were kicking this around a little while and and this is kind of a hypothetical and i know you can get get in trouble when you go down this road but if kj jefferson was cleared medically like the the doctor said he's good to go do you then say okay go be my quarterback the way you've always been my quarterback or do you say Okay, good. We're glad he's cleared, but we're going to try and call the game a little bit differently because to me that sets up a like kind of a scary situation almost. It's like yeah. you've got to either trust he's a hundred percent to play the game the way he plays the game, or you just don't play him. Does that make sense? Uh, you know, for me, if if it's a situation
6: where we're like he's cleared to play, but the doc, you know, but the sentiment is like we got to pull back on him, make sure he doesn't get hit or something that he shouldn't be playing. Yeah, you know, when you're we talking about. Ahead, and it's they shouldn't be playing if you if you have to pull them back any kind of way.
3: Trey, we've seen a, a little bit here and there of Malik Hornsby over the past couple of years. I don't know.
6: I don't know if you guys can turn me up on your end a little bit, but I'm it's it's very quiet in my ears. Try it again, hey, Dad. Trey, can you hear me? Yeah, I'm not even sure if I answered your last question exactly because I I couldn't hear you very well. But I can hear you now.
3: Uh, what, I, what I was going to ask is, you know, we, we've seen a, a little bit here and there of Malik Hornsby and in the packages that Arkansas has put together, so we, mm-hmm. we kind of have an idea about what kind of player he is. Kate Fortin, I don't know hardly anything about. I saw him a little bit in the Arkansas or the Alabama game last week when he came in there after after KJ got hurt. Just give us a little insight into what kind of player he is and, and and what does Arkansas's offense look like if he's behind center. Mm-hmm.
6: Yeah, you well know, he's a walk on quarterback and he's different than most walk on quarterbacks. He was a scholarship player at North Carolina where he signed out of high school, then transferred to South Florida. Things didn't work out for him there and uh and is transferred to Arkansas. What I can tell you is in spring football after he arrived. The sentiment with the coaches was that they could work Malik Hornsby at wide receiver more, develop some packages for him more without as much fear because they really liked what they saw out of Cade out of Fortin. And so he's not your typical – actually, Arkansas has two walk-on quarterbacks. Cade uh, Renfro uh, was a scholarship player at Ole Miss who has transferred to Arkansas. So two walk-on quarterbacks that were scholarship players elsewhere. You don't usually see that very often, but uh, I guess it's it's a good thing to have. So, but Fortin, he can throw the ball. He's not he's not bad from a mobility standpoint. Now, he's nothing like Malik Hornsby. Hornsby uh, has breathtaking speed. He can he's probably the fastest player on Arkansas's team. I could see why it made sense in the Alabama game when you're coming from behind to bring in Fortin because he's going to throw the ball better than than Hornsby does. Hornsby has had a tendency sometimes to only know one speed when throwing the ball, and it's. You know, it's it's as hard as he can throw it. Whether you're five yards away from him or, or you know, 40 yards away from him, he's going to throw it with the same velocity. He's gotten better at that, but it made sense, I think, to bring Fortin in against Alabama because you're trying to come back from behind. If you're trying to protect a lead, uh, then Malik Hornsby all day. If you're preparing, if you're preparing for a game, then I think it also makes sense to. You know prepare Hornsby to be your starting quarterback he just brings a different dynamic to the game with his speed he can still throw the ball too you know accuracy and those types of things have not been a problem it's been um, you know knowing when to put touch on the ball and, and knowing where to go with the ball sometimes also but uh, the the bottom line is neither of those guys are, are KJ Jefferson. He brings KJ brings leadership, running ability. He can throw the ball. He's obviously one of the best quarterbacks in the SEC. And uh, I think it'll be a it'll be a downgrade for Arkansas if he's not able to play. I, I kind of thought something along the lines of a final score of like 31-27 if KJ does play. For other reasons, I just I'm not. I don't feel like Arkansas has been entirely in sync. I know they haven't played a four quarter game this season, not even close to it. Um, But if he's not able to play, then, you know, it could be something more like 38 17.
4: Trey, you actually bring up something that's really fascinating to me with regard to Malik Hornsby, knowing that there needs to be development there. I was thinking back to when K.J. Jefferson arrived at Arkansas, and and it wasn't pretty. It it wasn't pretty watching him early on. I feel like the job that they've done developing him into a quarterback is is as good a coaching job for an individual player as we've seen in, I, I don't know, half a decade or so. Should that give Arkansas fans reason to be excited about Malik Hornsby seeing how far Jefferson has come from where he began to where he is now kind of thinking about the future? Yeah,
6: potentially, yeah. And I think probably your listeners are probably more familiar with Arkansas' starting quarterback than most others because he is from Sardis, Mississippi. Right. Uh, KJ came to Arkansas, he had a hitch in his throwing motion that had to be corrected. Um and they obviously fixed that he he got a lot bigger got stronger and has just really blossomed into a he wasn't a guy that was like raised on a quarterback form you know he, didn't, he wasn't the kind of guy that had a personal quarterback coach like so many of the the four or five star quarterbacks that you see out there but he was a four star based largely on his potential on on his ceiling and so uh, i think he's definitely come to realize a lot of that and yeah i think you're right with with Hornsby uh, something that ken hatfield always said former arkansas coach used to always say is you know find me a guy that can run this is back when everybody's running you know wishbone and and things sure. like that um find me a quarterback can, that can run and we can teach him how to pass and so with hornsby i mean he could excel in my opinion in a lot of different positions as a wide receiver a quarterback a cornerback anywhere that needs speed i think he could excel at but uh, yeah i think you're right i think that there is reason to be encouraged with him because he does have a high ceiling. Um, I don't know if he's ready to go on the road in the SEC in his first start, but, uh, um, you know, maybe, maybe a bright future for him. We'll see.
4: Trey Biddy from hogsports.com on the Farm Bureau guest line. One more thing, Trey. I, if it weren't for the KJ Jefferson situation, I feel like we would be talking about Arkansas secondary and their inability to, to handle passing offenses. Obviously without Jalen Catalan, which was a, a huge, you know, blow to that secondary, they still got to face this Mississippi state offense. And, and so what about that piece of it? Is there anything that Arkansas can do to improve on the fly in defending the pass?
6: Yeah, and more so than just the coverage, it has been poor tackling. And Mississippi State throws a lot of short passes, throw to the running back a lot. Against Missouri State, Arkansas gave up 200 yards after contact. Okay, They only gave up 54 rushing yards. So it doesn't take a lot to figure out that they're missing tackles downfield in the passing game on short passes and things of that nature. So Arkansas has got to become a better tackling team. And, you know, you pointed out Jalen Catalan, who – was an All-American candidate entering the season, Uh, Arkansas's best, maybe their best player, and they've lost him for the season again for the second year in a row. They also have not had Miles Slusher. Slusher uh, had a, a head injury that, forced him to miss some time he came back for Texas A&M immediately his presence was felt he made three stops in the first quarter on third down and but he's been dealing with a calf injury and he got burned twice against Alabama just wasn't ready to come back looked super slow and they pulled him out of the game because he wasn't ready and so we'll see if he's ready to go for Mississippi State but having him would be huge to get him back because I think he's probably the second best player in the secondary. But well, Darius Bishop, who's also out for the year at cornerback, a guy that started um, almost every game for him last year, mm. he's out. Uh, they lost Monteric Brown last year to the NFL. they have lost uh, Greg Brooks and Joe Fouché to transfer. Uh, they've had some issues in the secondary. Now they brought some guys in. Uh, Latavius Brainy from Georgia, who started 12 games for Georgia. Uh, they brought in um, – uh, Dwight McLaughlin, who started, I think, six games for LSU as a redshirt freshman last year. So they've added some help also, but to me, just as big as coverage has been tackling. And Arkansas has tried to, they have some really talented pass rushers on this team, and they have tried to single up some of their DBs and bring pressure. And it's, you know, they, I think, are second in the country in sacks right now. Drew Sanders leads the country with, what well, I think, six-and-a-half sacks. So they have gotten to the quarterback, but they've also paid for it. So it's kind of been big plays in terms of sacks and getting into the yeah. backfield and disrupting the quarterback and then also giving up big plays in the passing game because you got guys that are singled up that maybe aren't quite talented enough to be able to do that.
4: It's going to be interesting to see how it plays out this weekend. Trey, thanks so much for your time this afternoon.
6: Hey, wasn't wasn't Mississippi State gonna put up a bunch of passing yards anyway?
4: No matter yeah, who's so. back there. So
6: maybe <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they, <laughs> they mean they, to uh, watch. Possibly
4: yeah, possible. <laughs> maybe when it's all said and done. That's yeah. Trey Biddy from HogSports.com joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. More coming up right after this.
0: I can't believe what I'm hearing. This is Sports Talk, Mississippi, right here. On Super Talk, Mississippi, your
4: conversation with uh, Trey Biddy from Hog Sports dot com. He does not think that KJ Jefferson is going to play on Saturday, and he. I don't. Uh, that may not be a direct quote, but it was parenthetical.
3: And I, I spoke earlier today to Andrew Hutchinson, uh, who covers the Razorbacks for Best of Arkansas Sports. Same impression, same things. Like, yeah, we don't know for sure, but it just doesn't feel like it's going to happen, and, and that's why the. Vegas knows. Somebody in Vegas knows. That's why that line continues
4: to climb. Yeah. It's good news for Mississippi State.
1: I mean, yeah, it's not great news.
4: New. It's bad news for K.J. Jefferson. You hate that for a Mississippi kid right. coming you back hate to play it. in his home state. Uh, you yeah. know, you, all, all of those things. I, I think Mississippi State was winning the football game regardless. But without K.J. Jefferson and with the defensive issues that they have had on the back end – now, one thing that Trey said that, that does kind of stand out is is how good Arkansas has been in terms of getting to the quarterback. Mm-hmm. But it's like feast or famine, right? They either get to the quarterback yeah. and they eat, or they give up a feast.
3: They're giving up 15 yards per, per completion. I mean, every time mm-hmm. you complete a pass against Arkansas, you're getting it's almost an – Never mind a first down. Never mind a first down. It's almost an explosive play. Yeah. I mean – and that that matchup coming off of State's best game as an offensive line group, where they just really held their own against – they did more than hold their own. They dominated Texas A&M. Interesting, because if they can protect Will Rogers at all, you feel like he's going to be finding guys. And I go back to what I said yesterday, that I think State would be smart to early in the game really test Arkansas and, and throw some balls up there for Ra Ra Thomas. For, for Caleb ducking some, some 50-50 balls down the field and see what they can get.
4: Where's Hogman? We haven't heard from him in a while. Been a little quiet. He's, ha-
3: he's hanging out with that Texas A&M fan from last week. No. oh, That's you... not.
4: No, we like Hogman. We do like Hogman. We don't like that Texas A&M guy. He's been quiet. He's awful quiet. But should something... Unexpected happened Saturday.
3: We will hear from Hogman we will first hear thing from Monday, Hogman. Monday afternoon, three oh seven.
4: Question that came in on the ceasefire text line, and we were kind of talking about this a little while ago. Would a sixty percent Jefferson be better than a backup?
3: I say no. I don't think. I so I just feel either. like if you if you. When you're playing and you if you're playing any sport, if you're doing anything in life and you're hurt, you know you're hurt. And so think about when you just have like a knee you know, your knee's bothering you and you're just working in an office, man. You try to avoid bumping your knee into things, you try to avoid, you know, turning yourself the wrong way. You try being like that on the football field, it's just it's just natural. It's not it's it's just an instinct. It's not he's thinking about it. That's how you really get hurt out there.
4: Mm Mm-hmm. And look, I mean, when you're when you're a high level football player after week one, if you're fortunate enough to be completely healthy going into week one, you're banged up and bruised up and nicked up. It's hard, right? It's a physical game. Your body's not a hundred percent going throughout the course of the season, but there's a difference in that, right? The the bumps and the bruises and the pain that the adrenaline kind of knocks off once the game starts and being injured. Yeah. And then there's this at a different level when you're talking about K.J. Jefferson, if indeed it is a head injury, if it is indeed a concussion, and we've got a heightened focus on concussions in the last decade, and frankly the spotlight is shining as brightly on that as it has at any point in the last decade because of the situation with Tua Bailoa in the NFL. where he goes down a couple of weeks ago and it looks terrible, and they say it was a back issue, back spasms, not a not a concussion, but then he gets a concussion in the next game, and now he's out for this next game, and it's like nobody believes anybody. Mike McDaniel, the first-year head coach in Miami, is getting criticism. McDaniel didn't do anything that their medical staff didn't tell him he could do. Sam Pittman's not going to do anything that his medical staff at Arkansas tells him he can't do. That's above his pay grade. There's not a whole lot that's above college football coaches' pay grades. But when the doctor won't clear somebody, if a doctor won't clear somebody, that's the end of the discussion. This isn't Bud Kilmer stuff at West Canaan. Uh, There's oversight here. Mm Mm-hmm. There's big-time oversight here. And Coach Bud lost his job.
2: Yeah. And his statue, too.
4: Yeah. You hate to see it. We are going to do something that we don't normally do in October. We're going to talk some baseball. We're going to do that with Kendall Rogers from D1. We just... We just talk baseball like an iron out. No, no, I'm talking about college baseball. We're going to talk some real baseball. College baseball. D1 baseball is ranked the top 100 programs. There's a Mississippi flavor. There might be some debate. And we've got schedules now official. That's coming up to start the 5 o'clock hour next on Sports Talk.
3: Can you
0: feel it? Can you hear it? Sports Talk Mississippi. Yeah! On Super Talk Mississippi.
4: Welcome back, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at SuperTalk.fm and SuperTalk TV. Thanks for being with us. Glad to have you along for the ride in the Pearl River Resort studios. Pearl River Resort, the home of the sports book at timeout Lounge. Visit them online at pearlriverresort.com. You can be a part of the conversation. Online at, uh, on the C Spire text line at 601 879 4395. Want to give your business the edge? Get gigabit fiber internet from C Spire Business backed by world class IT experts who live where you do, right here in C Spire country. Check availability now at Seaspire.com slash business. Let's go to the Farm Bureau guest line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, at Mississippi Farm Bureau. We are 135 days. From opening day of the college baseball season, Kendall Rogers joins us from D1Baseball.com. Kendall, good to see you. Odd time of the year, I know, but always good to catch up.
2: Yeah, it's great to hear from you. I was asking your producer earlier if uh, Juice Kiffin or something had uh, had a, like a meeting come up, and they couldn't, jo- the dog couldn't join you on the radio, so you just called me.
4: Uh, he- he'll be with us later today. Um, okay. But, no, we, we were talking earlier this week. You guys at D1 Baseball put together the, the list of top 100 programs in the country. And if we're being completely honest, people in Mississippi didn't really engage when you were counting down from 100 down to about 11, but expected <laughs> that both Mississippi State and Ole Miss would be in the uh, the top 10 of the countdown. And then when your final mm-hmm. top 10 came out, there was obviously some uh, some debate and some uh, some curiosity. So big picture before we we kind of drill into the top 10, what went into this? What what are the determining factors for how you rank programs?
2: I think the biggest thing from our perspective, Richard is, you know, you, you look at the last 5 years as kind of our measuring stick because I mean, if you start to go out too far, you're kind of like you know you're you know you're, you're in many cases you're taking like programs who had totally different coaches back then totally different situations and things like that so we go the last five years and what we kind of look at is you know what uh, what are what is the programs recruiting like what are the facilities like what is what is the trajectory for me that's a that's a big one for me is like you know like yeah what have you done for me lately but also like, how do, how do things look for the future of your program? So for for me and, like, for the rest of our staff, that's kind of how we, we did things. We looked at, you know, College World Series appearances, uh, you know, super regional appearances. And the other thing for me, you know, I think this is a differentiator. I know, I know it's a little different than, like, Pitt and a few others on this, is I, I kind of dive into the actual schedules a little bit. Like, I, I for instance, if you look at Arkansas two years ago, or Tennessee this past year, and I don't necessarily look at it as, a, oh, well, if they don't get to Omaha, uh, you know they're automatically behind someone. I saw somebody you know earlier arguing with me about you know Mississippi State being behind Arkansas because Arkansas didn't have a national championship, but I mean at the end of the day Arkansas was a team that was an out of way from a national championship and was the best team in college baseball for 13 weeks two years ago. So uh, I actually kind of dug into those teams a little bit more and, and said you know what I, I'm just for at least one part of this exercise. I'm going to actually ignore what happened in Omaha and just kind of see how things unfold as the season progressed. All
4: right, so let's start with 10 down through 6. Stanford at 10, Texas Tech at 9, Ole Miss coming off the national championship at 8, LSU at 7, Louisville at 6. So my guess is that there are Ole Miss fans that would look at that and go, well, hold on a second. Yeah, LSU traditionally, but... Using your last five years barometer probably wouldn't make sense to be in front of Ole Miss. And then kind of the same thing with Louisville, who's taking a little bit of a step back from where they yeah. were at the beginning of Dan McDonald's tenure there. Why is Ole Miss at seven, and why are those two programs specifically in front of them?
2: Yeah, I think when you look at Louisville, I mean, yeah, they really didn't make the, the NCAA tournament. You know, they were a bubble team. Uh, but, I, but this is still a program that's, you know, made the College World Series, you know, two to three times over the last five years. Like, they've been ultra consistent. And I think, you know, they made a Super Regional this year. They played a and uh, on the road. They're going to be a really good team next year, probably a top-ten team once again. So when I look at Louisville is, you know, they were one of the, you know, top teams or a top-five team in our last rankings. They dropped down a couple of spots because of the you know the, the bad year they had last year. But what it, it, it tells me a lot about a program whenever they have a year like that and they turn around and go, oh, well, we're just going to make another Super Regional. And, oh, by the way, we're going to be really good again next year. So I think for Louisville, ha- had they had a year like this year where they just barely made a Regional, they kind of stumbled in a little bit, I think for me, I would have definitely had them behind Ole Miss. But because they rebounded, I think that shows to me that like that season was more of an aberration than it was a potential trend starting you know year. Uh, I, I think for LSU, uh, you know LSU is the one team that you can you can definitely make a legit ar- argument about. Uh, but again, they were a team that we had number four previously. Uh, they dropped down three spots, and I think even with LSU dropping down three spots, I think this is a program that I don't think anybody in the world would argue about their trajectory. Uh, I mean, they, they brought in the top transfer class in college baseball. They brought in uh, an elite high school class. It's clearly, you know, elite across the board, everything, uh, facilities, recruiting, blah, blah, blah. And so, I mean, LSU is a tough one to argue against, I think, right now. If, if the trajectory wasn't very good, then I think you could go, you know what, you know, LSU definitely should be behind them. But I think we would all agree that LSU is going to be really good moving forward.
4: Top five: Oregon State at five, Florida at four, which I got a little bit of an issue with. Mississippi State at three.
2: You need to you need to come after me about four. I mean, Florida. I'll, I'll be very honest. You know, like I, I'm an honest person. I'm an open book. And Florida, frankly, guys, is the team that when I kind of went back and and dove into some of these clubs, two two things stood out to me. One, I think we had Tennessee a little too low. Um, I was kind of outvoted on that. Uh, I went to Tennessee at about the 11, 12 spot. I love I love the direction this program's going. I, lo- I love what they've done the last couple of years. But Florida is the team for me that I think is just kind of riding off that 2017, because remember, we don't count the COVID year. So they won the championship in 2017. Um, you know, they've, they've got great facilities. They've got probably the best recruiting base in college baseball. But for me, I'm a little – I was a little iffy on that one at four. I'll, I'll be very honest
4: with you. I just uh, I feel like Florida's this trending season, in the wrong direction.
2: They, I mean, remember, they were number one last time and number four now. So, but I would argue they probably should be a little bit lower. But I will say this. Uh, this is a huge, huge year for them because they should be excellent. Uh, you know, they added Hurston Waldrop out of the portal. Uh, they've got all of those guys back outside of Barco on the mound. They've got everybody back offensively outside of Jug Fabian. They should be really good next year. If they're not, they're one of those programs that in two years, and when we do this exercise again, they will absolutely drop like a rock. But they, but there's no doubt. They're, they've been wobbly. They've been really wobbly.
4: Mississippi State at number three, Arkansas mm-hmm. at two, and Vanderbilt at one. Uh, and Hey Dad may want to jump in on this in just a second. The, the only thing that I would say about Mississippi State at number three behind Arkansas is mm-hmm. that – I, I heard for a really long time that the only thing missing for Mississippi State was that national championship. Mm-hmm. They had the Omaha appearances, they have the fan yep. base, they've got the best stadium in the country, all of those things. And they checked that off the list, right? So so they've got the national mm-hmm. title now. And Arkansas's missing that. Okay. Arkansas's got the stadium, they got the fan base, they've got the consistency, all all of those same things. Mm-hmm. And, and I know you said you were making it not just about Omaha, but at some point that feels like that should be a little bit of a tiebreaker.
2: Well, I mean, I, I would also argue the team finishing dead last in the SEC is a tiebreaker. Uh, yeah, they were bad you last know, year. Think about Arkansas. Exactly. So when, when I look at Arkansas, and Mississippi State—not not necessarily this is a determining factor. You know, Number one, I think when you look at Arkansas over the last five years, uh, every state fan imaginable would say Arkansas had their number. Uh, Arkansas's been you know Arkansas's record against Mississippi State over the last five years is 12 and five. Uh, they finished ahead of uh, Mississippi State four out of the last five years in the SEC. The fifth year by the way uh, was a year in which they tied. so they've been better they were they were better than Mississippi State in the SEC for those five years. and I also think when you look at last year they're finishing dead last and I get it by losing land and losing stone that stinks that's, that that that's terrible. But Arkansas lost Peyton Paulette. I mean, they lost a first, second-round guy, their Friday guy, before the season started, and what did they do? They got to the College World Series, and they got to the national semifinals. So it's not like Arkansas is one of those teams that last year, all of a sudden, they were just totally healthy, and Mississippi State just had all this bad luck. They lost their Friday guy, too. And granted, I don't think Peyton Paulette has quietly in it but still, they had a great year. So, for me, I, I, I'm with you in the sense that like, the national championship should be a tiebreaker in most instances. But I would, I would also argue that when two teams that had somewhat similar setbacks, when one finishes dead last and one makes, makes it to Omaha and play, is a national semifinalist, that also should matter. And so, I just think when you look at Arkansas, you look at that. You look at their record against state in conference. You look at the fact they've been better than state in the standings. Uh, over the last you know, four, uh, four of the last five years, on top of the fact they were one catch away from winning a national chamber, championship. They were two years ago the best team in college baseball, all but one weekend out of the year. I think all those different factors point to Arkansas being ahead of them. With that said, I absolutely get the argument for Mississippi State in the sense that they have a national championship because you're right, that does matter
4: we got more coming up with Kendall Rogers. We're going to talk about the schedules for Mississippi State and Ole Miss, which were officially released yesterday or, or maybe today. I suppose, in fairness, Arkansas wins a national championship if they don't lose to Ole Miss on Thursday in Omaha this past year. I, I think it was that cut and dry.
0: We'll pick that up when we come back. Sports Talk Mississippi.
2: I listen to it at work.
0: That work. Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi. On Super Talk Mississippi. Did you get that memo?
1: Yes, sir.
4: Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, visiting with Kendall Rogers from D1 Baseball. We're talking about the top 100 list that came out as uh, D1 Baseball staff Kendall Rogers, Aaron Fit, Mike Rooney put together the top 100 programs in the country. Had Ole Miss ranked at eight and Mississippi State ranked at three. Vanderbilt was the number one team. Nobody around here cares about Vanderbilt, though, so we'll just ignore them and uh, and move on. <laughs> we we got to ask you about the backdrop, though. Miami jersey back there, UCLA yeah. jersey back there, LSU jersey back there. A little. Uh, we got Florida.
2: We got Florida there. You can't really see Florida, but we got Florida. So, old Miss and State, and even Southern Miss. If y'all are listening, send me a jersey. I'll will get you in the rotation back here. My my wife says it looks like a closet, so she I think she wants me to kind of frame them and make them look a little better. So it looked like I'm reporting from the closet.
4: That's fair. That's maybe where you should be, Just tucked away in the closet. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, the jokes write themselves <laughs> sometimes.
3: <laughs> you wonder why Kendall hates your team.
4: There you go. I'm, you
2: I'm like Milton like with a stapler over here.
4: Yeah. Hey, I want to <laughs> ask you about a. Uh, I got that reference. (laughs) Let me ask you about a big picture college baseball topic that we've talked about with you. We we felt like there was some movement trending toward scholarship limitations being lifted, more, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, going to more paid assistance. Anything happening in the off season on that front that makes you think we're closer to actually getting to the scholarship cap in particular being lifted?
2: the scholarship cap i think we're still a ways from from that occurring um you know as we all kind of expected that's one of those things that has a ton a ton of red tape especially from a title nine perspective so i still think we're probably a couple of couple of years probably three years away from that occurring uh but the assistant uh the the, the having the third paid assistant absolutely uh, is going to happen. It's just a matter of what the stru- what is the structure. I had a couple of SEC coaches called me actually the other day asking about it because, you know, they had they had heard that, you know, we, we might get two more paid assistants. And so, you know, my, my feeling is this, you know, originally the Transformation Committee came out and said, you know what, we're going to allow, you know, through the SEC, you can have uh, five or six paid assistants. And if you're in the Sunbelt or the Missouri Valley and you only want three, you can do that. Well, I have heard, and I do like this actually. I have heard there will be uniformity on this decision. For instance, every conference will have the same, you know, up to rule. And so my feeling on it is we'll probably end up with just turning that volunteer uh, position into a paid position. They can go out and recruit. The question becomes, and this is where all the coaches are like, Hey, hey, like what are you hearing on this? Is what happens to the volunteer role? You like, does it just go away? Are you allowed to add another coach that just can't recruit? That is gonna be a big question mark. And and my feeling is is that uh, another position will be added that isn't necessarily a recruiting position. Because here's the thing, when it comes to the transformation committee and volunteer coaches, one of the things the NCAA is really concerned about right now is they're being sued for this, they're being sued for that. And all it takes is a group of volunteer coaches that go off and sue the NCAA because hey, man, like you're not allowing me to make a sufficient living, and that threat alone is going to cause the and well, it has caused the NCAA to go, hey, we might, we need to kind of take care of this, and so that's going to happen. My, from what I'm hearing right now, it's going to be December or January. It would be approved uh, by the Division One Council uh, and the transfer transformation committee. If that's the case, it would go into effect in August one of twenty three, and that obviously be a great thing for college baseball. Uh, you know, I've I've certainly fought for that for these coaches uh, for years. I think it'd be great uh, to get more and more coaches, you know, on the road recruiting, get them, you know, real real recruiting experience, you know, for the for when they become a associate head coach or a head coach. So that's going to happen. Uh, it's just a matter of you know, will it be December or January, or will they vote on a later year? Uh, the scholarship thing, there, Richard, uh, I don't think it's happening for a couple of years, and that's one of those things that. You know, unlike the coach, I'm always just like, eh. like I'm mean, hearing good things about it, but I'll believe it when I see it.
4: Yeah, so I guess the uh, the thought that the SEC was going to be able to do that and uh, everybody else could just kind of get on board when they wanted to uh, has been pushed to the side a, a little bit, which is disappointing. Well,
2: I, I would say this, quo, right? yeah, it's status quo in that regard on that topic, but I will say this, as long as Greg Sankey's involved in this transformation, transformation committee, don't be surprised if things can can switch gears quickly. I mean, just today they came out saying, hey, we're exploring allowing up to 25% of membership to make the postseason in every single sport. And, like, they just came out of the blue. So don't be surprised if, like, this, this comes down the pike maybe a little quicker than expected. It's just right now I'm not hearing a lot about it.
4: Let's talk schedules for a second, and and we're focusing on Mississippi State and and Ole Miss. I've got Ole Misses pulled up. I've got Mississippi State's pulled up as well. So there are two parts to this. One, the non-conference, and then two, the order that SEC stuff is happening. So Ole Miss in the non-conference has a three-game series with Maryland, two games in the middle of the week with Louisiana Tech. They go to the tournament in Minneapolis against, I guess that's going to be three Big Ten teams, and then they've got Purdue before they start league play. So pretty good non-conference slate there. And then Ole Miss' start to SEC play, first six weeks, at Vandy, Florida at home, at A&M, Arkansas at home, <laughs> at Mississippi yeah. State, LSU at home, and then they get Georgia at home to start those final four weekends. That's a bear. But Ole Miss um, does miss yeah. Tennessee.
2: Uh, so I will say this. Uh, I was diving into Ole Miss's schedule and, you know, not to give everything away, but as of right now, I mean, five of those first six weeks would involve opponents that are top ten teams in the preseason. <laughs> and, that, and that's not including Mississippi State. Who, by the way, uh, I don't know about top ten, but I think they're going to be a lot better than they were last year. They're, they're, they're going to be a good team. That's
4: Mississippi pretty tough. State, in the non-conference, has a three-game series in Starkville with Arizona State. They will go to Frisco and play Ohio State, Oklahoma, and Cal. And they've got a midweek game with Louisiana that's down on the coast. The start of Mississippi State's league schedule, not too bad. But listen to the final four weeks of league play for uh, for Mississippi State. Tennessee on the road, Arkansas at home, LSU on the road, Texas A&M at home.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a little difficult. I, I will say this, though. Circle that Kentucky series <laughs> on the road. That That is a very tough series to start conference on the road.
4: Because we to be cold. Uh,
2: I was just talking to – yeah, that's what I'm saying. I was talking to a coach the other day. He's like, I mean, I'll, I'll, you know, I was, I was talking to him and he was saying, going to Missouri the first weekend of conference play is brutal because nobody's there, the weather's terrible. And so, like, that Kentucky series to start is actually pretty difficult. In my opinion, they'll actually be more talented than they were last year. But you're right. I mean, when you look at those last few weeks with Ole Miss, Auburn, you know, Tennessee, Arkansas, LSU, A&M, I mean, they better hope they have a really good record going on that back stretch because it's not like it's not like I'm saying they won't be a good team. But like you could be, you know, you could be the best team in America and still go barely over 500 against that remaining schedule. So. Uh, you know, they'll just have a little bit of pressure on them to start the year. It just it just means they can't slip up in a series like uh, Kentucky early on.
4: You know, it, it's funny. We were talking about that this morning, and for Ole Miss, it's like you, you kind of got to tread water and be in the neighborhood of 500 when you get mm-hmm. to those final 12 games, and then you've got a chance to stack up some wins at the end. For Mississippi State, it's almost like you really need to stack up some wins in the first half and then be able to play somewhere around 500 ball for the you know the final four or five weeks of the season.
2: I will say this for state though, I think this is a year where for the teams that they have coming back, I think the schedules are, are like in the right order. Like if you're Ole Miss, getting guys like Hunter Elliott back. Like you're kind of, I think you're kind of okay starting the starting conference with that kind of schedule. But I think if you're Mississippi State, and you're kind of trying to regain momentum a little bit. You're trying to break in all you know these new these new arms they have and whatnot. You're kind of liking a non conference schedule, and you're kind of liking a little bit of a slower build up to the conference schedule. I think if you're Mississippi State and you started the year with that with that, with Ole Miss's schedule and conference. I think if you're Chris Alonis, you're like, man, I, re- I wish I would. We could switch spots with them. So I think for this particular teams and their personnel's and kind of their current situations, I think it sets up okay. Because I think Mississippi State would be fine playing all those teams late as opposed to early.
4: I will ask you because there are so many people that care about Southern Miss baseball as well. Um, yeah. This transition to the Sun Belt—I mean, price of poker is going up. Southern Miss has been a great program. They got a ton of pieces coming back off of that team from uh, mm-hmm. from a year ago that was, you know, just uh, just a couple of wins away from from getting to the College World Series, and now they're moving to the Sun Belt. I, I mean, I think they're going to be really good again, but it's it's not going to be easy.
2: No, it won't be easy. And then, you know, as long as that staffs together, especially Christian Ostrander is there, they're going to be really good. Um, you know, th- this is another program. We didn't even talk about them with the top 100, but this is a program that, you know, went up from 33 to 26. They're now in the same range with, you know, names like UCLA, names like Arizona. They're right there with Miami. Like if you're Southern Miss and you're being mentioned in the same grouping as programs like Arizona, Miami, your program is taking a big step forward. So I, I think Southern, Myth, Southern Miss is one of those programs now that has a brand, at least in college baseball, that is building nationally. And I actually love the move to the Sun Belt because I think if you're if you're yeah. in Southern Miss and you're trying to recruit against State, you're trying to recruit against Old Miss, and granted, like, you're probably not going to win a lot of those battles mm-hmm. anyway, but if you're in the Sun Belt playing four or five, six teams that have the potential to make the postseason every year as opposed to two or three in the Sun Belt, I think you have a lot more to sell on the recruiting trail and we know what they can sell from a from a fan, you know, support perspective. So I like their trajectory of their program. I think going to the Sunbelts probably gonna help them long term.
4: Here we are, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm and Super Talk TV with you on this Wednesday afternoon, middle of the week, just half an hour, a little less than half an hour from a football game tonight, ESPN 2, 6 o'clock. SMU and UCF, Richard Cross, Michael Borkey, Brian Haydad. Sports Talk Mississippi brought to you in part by Genteel Apparel. You can check them out online at genteelapparel.com. Be sure to check out the collegiate collection. Get your old Miss, Mississippi State, or Southern Miss gear to help you look your best in Oxford, Starkville, or Hattiesburg at football games this fall. That's genteelapparel.com. We uh, are a little late on this today but doesn't mean we can't do it it's time right now for the college football fix College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com and find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. You can test drive the F-150. 45 straight years is the best-selling truck in America. So. Let's return to uh, the conversation about Arkansas, Mississippi State's opponent, briefly. And then we'll take a a peek at Vanderbilt as well, who Ole Miss will be playing this weekend. Uh, We played it for you earlier, Sam Pittman, last press conference of the week before Arkansas heads to Mississippi State. And to say the situation with K.J. Jefferson is murky at best, I I think might be a little bit of an understatement. If we're being honest, if we're reading between the lines, if we're paying attention, it really sounds like K.J. Jefferson is not going to play this weekend against Mississippi State. That's what the people that cover the Arkansas program, hey, Dad, really believe. We talked with Trey Biddy from hogsports.com earlier today. I know you've talked with some people that cover Arkansas as well that kind of think the same thing. It's possible that everybody is wrong and that Jefferson does play on Saturday but the prevailing thought among people that cover the Razorbacks, among Vegas, based on what we've seen with the line continuing to go up, now closing in on double digits, and from Arkansas fans, frankly, that Jefferson is likely not to play against Mississippi State.
3: It does appear that way, and that's just going to be a huge, huge problem for Arkansas. I mean, they were already an underdog in this game. They're playing, you know, not great right now. They've been beset by injuries aside from K.J. Jefferson's all over the field, especially on defense, and they're the worst pass defense, you know, in the SEC and against a team that, you know, labels its offense the air raid. That feels like a bad place to be. And they're not great. I looked at their defensive stats today, Richard. They're, they're just incredible. You would not expect them from a Barry Odom coach defense. And on top of giving up 290 yards a game in the air, they're giving up another 140 on the ground. So they haven't been great against the run. They're not forcing a lot of turnovers. I think I mentioned it earlier. They're giving up 15 yards per completion. Every time you pass the ball against Arkansas, you're, you're averaging 15 yards a, a throw. I mean, you can't win football games like that. You, you just can't. So even with K.J. Jefferson, this was going to be an uphill challenge, it appeared, for Arkansas. Without him, it's, it's going to be a mountain to climb.
4: In terms of total defense, Arkansas is 13th in the SEC, allowing 433 yards per game. They have given up 19 touchdowns this season. That is second most only to Vanderbilt. Who is uh, allowed 21 touchdowns this season. Mississippi State, middle of the pack. They're, uh, what, eighth in the SEC in total defense, giving up 333 yards per game. They've allowed 14 touchdowns. While we're looking at defense, let's hit Ole Miss and Vanderbilt as well. Total defense, Ole Miss is fifth in the league, 315 and a half yards per game allowed. And uh, Ole Miss has given up just seven touchdowns. Against their five opponents so far. Scoring defense, Arkansas is 13th, next to last, 30.6 points per game. Uh, Mississippi State is giving up 22 points per game. Vanderbilt dead last, they're giving up 34 per game. Ole Miss third, they're giving up 12 per game. And And by the way, in the total defense category, Vanderbilt giving up 457 yards per game in their two Power Five games. There's only two of them. Nineteen combined points given up by uh, by the Ole Miss defense. So uh, playing well, all that. It's not even combined points. It's <laughs> it's all Georgia. one team. Yeah, Kentucky scored 19, Georgia Tech scored zero. So we know no, the no. answer for Ole Miss, not right? Because a- after the Kentucky, when people are starting to do the you know path to an Access ball, Now some people are going further than that, but to keep it realistic, they're doing the, you know, they, they can get back to the Sugar Bowl or the Peach Bowl or something. You know, have another 10-win season. That's on the table now for them. So obviously you have to beat Vanderbilt for that to happen. And uh, for other reasons also. But is Arkansas a quote-unquote must-win for Mississippi State? Do they, do they have to win this game or else? I, I
3: I didn't think it was – I thought, you know, this stretch, this three-game stretch for State was win two out of three. However you win them, win two out of three, and everything will be okay. But now – Got one. When they, got one. Now with Arkansas the way they are, if you lose this game, that is not – it doesn't look good. It makes you wonder it, – it, something that something feels like it would have to go wrong for State to win – or for State to lose, I'm just sure to say – so I don't know what that thing would be. So must win is, is a, you know, I don't like to use that. But it would be a bad loss if State lost this game, especially if KJ doesn't play.
4: And, and Borky, your or else gave me a little bit pause. Uh, I don't know what the or else is. I mean, Not lose your job, because that's not happening this year no. at all. But, like, the, the next home game against Auburn, if you if you lose to Arkansas and then you go to Kentucky and, and you go to Alabama... The, what will happen to the crowd for the Auburn game after the bye week is what I mean by the or else. If you lose this game and then you you have two difficult road games See, against teams like that coming back home, it, it will it will it will not look pretty in terms of what the fans show you in terms of their investment for a home division game. So so to me, the or else for Mississippi State is the ceiling becomes eight, and the more likely finish is seven. If Mississippi State were to drop this game against Arkansas, but I'm like, hey, Dad, I don't think they're going to lose this game. I think they're better than Arkansas with or without K.J. Jefferson, and without K.J. Jefferson, I'm laying the the nine-and-a-half points. And I think Mississippi State's winning comfortably, and they jump out pretty quick and kind of cruise. Um, We'll see Scoring offense, by the way Mississippi State fourth in the SEC at 38 a game One point ahead of Ole Miss at 37 per game Arkansas averaging 32 a game Vanderbilt Largely because of their games against Hawaii and Northern Illinois But those count Scoring 34 points a game this season. So it's a better Vanderbilt offense. Um, And Clarkley did an interesting thing. So his team's... Rolling is not the the right word, I guess. But his team's winning and they're playing better. And he benches his captain quarterback. Mm -hmm. Who wasn't playing poorly for a freshman. And the freshman's played pretty well. Yeah. I mean, that takes guts, man. That, that's the kind of stuff that, for the dozens of Vanderbilt fans out there, I would be pumped to see things like that. Could you imagine some coaches making that decision? They wouldn't. They wouldn't at all. Clark Lee, in his second year as a head coach, benched his team captain because he knew the younger guy behind him was better, despite the captain even playing pretty well. That's a gutsy move. And as a result, Arkansas doesn't have anybody in the passing yardage ranks because they started going into the year, now doesn't have enough to qualify. Oh, now we and, have music. Yeah, that's little glitches in the system here, fellas, but I think I got it figured out. Yeah, it, uh, it happens. <laughs> passing yards, Will Rogers leading the SEC 343 per game with 19 touchdown passes and just three interceptions. Who needs coffee when I got Led Zeppelin to scare you? Sports Talk Mississippi, that's your college football fix driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. We'll be back to wrap it up after this.
0: Mississippi.
1: Do you ever get so excited that you just can't wait? Yes!
0: Sports Talk Mississippi, covering your Mississippi teams. I've been waiting my whole life for this. Don't touch that dial! Here on Super Talk Mississippi.
4: Columbus on the C Spire text line. State can't lose games like this, even if KJ's playing. I've been saying all along State will win nine games. LSU kind of scared me. The more I see other teams play, I think nine is still happening. I can see State winning ten games. Laying egg against LSU is probably the reason they don't win ten. I thought Ole Miss was going to win seven games. They're a little better than I thought. Not much better, but the schedule is so easy. If Ole Miss doesn't win nine, it would be crazy. That's from Hunter in Columbus. It's
3: okay, a long Hunter. text.
4: It was. We appreciate it F- though. It's a lot. Lot of information. A lot, lot of info there. I like Hunter because Hunter disagrees with us often, but has perspective. Well, Hunter's perspective is right, staring I, through his maroon shades. No, but, but I, I, mean, I mean perspective that's okay. in that, like he, it seems like he recognizes it's just sports. Yeah, that's fair. The the kind of stuff that I'm sure you guys have been sent over the years and that I get on occasion, it makes me wonder if you understand, not you two, but you sending it, understand that this is just sports at the end of the day. We love it, but, you know, take a step back. Hunter has taken his steps back and appreciates the fodder. I like guys like him. He does. And Hunter and I even agreed on something, or he agreed with me on something earlier today, and that's why Florida was ranked where they were in the baseball uh, program rankings earlier this, uh, this afternoon. Uh, here's one. If Georgia keeps playing like they are, State will beat them this year. I need to see something from Georgia this weekend.
3: True. I agree. If Georgia puts up a third straight stinker, we can have the conversation of, well, if they play like that in Starkville, they're going to lose.
4: And who was it that's been that's a, a fair conversation us to have throughout the uh, the yes. off that that Georgia who was missed on the state? Arizona game? He said that the state would lose to
3: Arizona but beat Georgia. He missed on one. I feel like he's going to just missed on both. But again. Georgia doesn't, you know. If Georgia plays with its food again this weekend. I'm going to start to wonder.
4: It is crazy that in the ever super duper important have to put it on at 2:30 or 3:30 or else Deep South's oldest rivalry is not a cover if Georgia wins by four touchdowns. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Forty-two to fourteen. Not a cover. Gosh.
4: Simple text here, LSU or Tennessee? It's Tennessee for me. I just think they're good. They're
3: just, they're just too explosive. They're just, they're just too explosive offensively. Yeah. And LSU can't pass.
4: Yeah, these 11 a.m. games, all the hand-wringing and stuff, and understandably so, I, I the 11 a.m. games are not as fun as the night games. No doubt about it. Uh, you would like to get them if you're the road team. You want to play at 11 a.m. if you're going to their place? What do you think Tiger Stadium is going to feel like Saturday morning? Well, interesting you say that, because I think it was yesterday or maybe two days ago where you're like, oh, they are going to be empty seats all over the place. And there may very well be, but LSU announced that this game against Tennessee is sold out. And there's going to be a lot of orange. Oh, I don't think there's any question about that. It's been a long long time since uh, Tennessee's gone to Baton Rouge. Yeah. I, what, 2010? Same as like the Kentucky Ole Miss thing last week. I know a guy... That's
3: the crazy, uh, the crazy finish game, wasn't it? Yeah, where T-Bob snapped the ball and that, that won yeah, the game. Yeah, LSU had... Or Tennessee had 15 guys on the field or
4: something. It's crazy. I saw them playing that on SEC Network last night, previewing this game. <laughs> they, they did the count on the field, and it was like the numbers just keep on yeah. going and going. And then on the next play, LSU runs the most less Miles play ever, toss, sweep, left, collision at the goal line, they get in and they win, and uh, Derek Dooley chunked the headset. So mad. But he had no one to blame but himself. Well,
3: I don't know. Is it his fault that there were 15 guys on the field? Yes, I'm blaming the coach when there's 15 guys on the field.
4: Hmm. What is push a hole in the middle of a burger with your thumb or a small spoon to keep from shrinking, not just football? I don't know, but that's a good tip.
3: That uh, is a good apropos tip. of nothing. Some,
4: be- Some people put an ice cube in there. Yeah? Yeah. Or just take parchment paper and don't do it on a grill. Do it on a skillet or something flat and really just flatten your burgers and just... Put multiple on top of Burgers each burger right? should be
3: nice and thin and nobody know. if I want a thick piece of beef, I'll eat a steak.
4: Interesting hills, thank you it... guys or... are. <laughs> okay. Uh final text message of the day. I was at the old Miss Game Saturday. Props to Kentucky fans. They traveled very well. They did. It was a great road crowd. <laughs> Thanks for being with us. We will be back with you in 21 hours.
3: What Stay tuned for Thunder and Lightning next on Super Talk.
4: Thunder and Lightning coming up next on the radio, hosted by Hadid. Oh, it's
3: incredible!